1: Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today is Martin Arnold, our banking editor, and we're here with a special edition of Banking Weekly to reflect the content of our FT Banking Summit, which was held in London on Tuesday, and we are reflecting on some of the highlights of that event Our three favourite highlights were, in no particular order, reflections from the former finance minister of Greece, Yanis Varoufakis, on how the eurozone could be fixed. Also, an interesting prediction about the future of digital currencies. And finally, what direction will peer-to-peer lenders take next? How will they conquer the world? First up was Yanis Varoufakis, who was talking to our chief economics commentator Martin Wolf, largely about the Eurozone. And he made a very brief but impactful prediction about how the
2: multiple problems of the Eurozone could be fixed. Firstly, we should split member state debt into two parts, the good part and the bad, the master compliant and the rest, and we should mutualize the good part. Through, and I would do it by having the ECB borrow on behalf of member states through ECB bonds or ESM bonds backed by the ECB. That way you create a yield Spread between the good and the bad debt that immediately solidifies Maastricht and reduces the total amount of debt. Secondly, um, instead of having QE, the way we're doing it now, have a massive investment uh, uh, spree spree, um, a, a, a new deal for Europe, uh, for startups, for green energy, things that Europe really needs, the digital union and so on, uh, to be financed exclusively by European, European investment bank bonds running to 7-8% of euro area GDP to be purchased by Draghi in the secondary markets. That is completely different to buying boons and Spanish debt. Thirdly, the banking union as I suggested it, a step-by-step um, creation of a eurozone jurisdiction for failed banks. And lastly, a poverty-fighting fight- fund along the lines of the United States a food stamp program, Uh, where the target 2 profits of the Euro system can be channeled. Uh, They take the form of a check that a German family, a Greek family, a Portuguese family get with which they can buy food at a local supermarket, signed by Mario Draghi. That will have an amazing unifying effect.
1: Well it was a pretty brief but uh, radical set of ideas that Mr Varoufakis came up with. What we didn't hear on that clip Martin was the fact that I think I'm right in saying this was the only segment of of yesterday's full day conference which yielded a spontaneous outburst of applause from the audience which when you think about it is relatively (laughs) surprising given Mr Varoufakis's fairly extreme views generally and the government that he was part of until relatively recently. What you make of those ideas? Well, he he's certainly
3: got a, a magnetism about him, and he expresses the ideas with the typical conviction that we've come to know from the former Greek finance minister. I think that those ideas are an anathema to Germany, and would not go down well with the Bundesbank, with the Chancellor in Germany. So I think that this is clearly the way that a lot of the left-wing parties would like to take Europe but I think that mutualisation of debt, I think that this idea of state handouts for the poor being mutualised across I mean it is political, we're talking about political and fiscal union creating a European super state a lot of this is extremely unpopular in places like Germany also so in, in the UK, would be very worried about these kind of ideas if they were to gain traction. I do think, though, having said all that, that he has got a point on banking union because I think that there is a definite logic that if you're going to have a banking union, then you have to have a single bailout fund, you have to have a single depositor protection scheme. And it's heading in that direction, but slowly, and it's taking a long time. And, you know, Greece is in the process of recapitalising its banks and doing that with money from Europe, but it's not in a harmonised way. There isn't a common depositor protection scheme. Uh, There isn't a common pot of money for bailing out depositors if banks go bust.
1: And there isn't a resolution scheme. And actually, In a separate part of that interview, Mr Varoufakis did spell out those points in more detail. And I think, as you say, these are parts of banking union that are supposed to happen at some point. But so far, all we've got is a common regulator and clearly to be credible that needs to change. Let's move on to the second clip that we've got, which is equally revolutionary in some ways. It was an interview that our company's editor, Brooke Masters, was doing on stage with a couple of experts in digital currency in the areas of the blockchain, which is the technology that underpins things like Bitcoin. And she was interviewing, among others, Richard Crook, who is in charge of the technology side of this area at RBS. And here's what he had to say about the likelihood of digital currencies becoming mainstream.
4: This is the first time that we've had a digital asset that the market believes is you can't tamper with, you can't copy, and they're giving a monetary value to. And that's an exciting leap in technology. We've not ever had that in technology before. That said, it's highly unlikely that any of the banks are going to have an interest in a currency, digital or otherwise, where the majority of it is owned by very few people and that uh, those few people, we don't understand their agenda. So put that aside uh, and and the Bitcoin experiment aside, it is likely um, that we will start to see the issuance of digital currencies from those institutions who are legally allowed to issue currency. What we do need to recognise is that left unchecked or unregulated we will undoubtedly see a rerun of the wildcat banking of the late 1800s. What happened then? <laughs> so the issuance of, uh, of currency by the, the banks in the, in the States and not at a federal level uh, left us with a, a free banking uh, and that uh, left uh, people holding notes, cash, and in this case digital asset, that they couldn't then um, uh, resolve to the bank and get their money back.
1: So is the answer then for the Bank of England to start issuing digital
4: currency? I think it's um, likely that at some point we're going to see uh, those that can issue currency will issue it, It be that those institutions in, in the UK or all around the world.
1: So, Martin, it sounds like who knows when this will happen, but the idea of the Bank of England or the European Central Bank issuing currency in digital form is around the corner. It's quite a, a bizarre... Idea You know, Bitcoin, which was the revolutionary alternative form of lending, is like a lot of the challenging technologies in mainstream banking is also set to go mainstream.
3: I think that the underlying technology is certainly something that has caught the eye of banks across the world and central banks. And the Bank of England has set up a special unit to examine this technology, examine digital currencies, the blockchain that underpins the blockchain technology, which is also known as the distributed ledger. And they've produced a paper on this, which is very enthusiastic about the potential for it. So, yeah, why not? I think that the point, though, that was made on the panel by Richard Crook that actually the UK probably has the least pressing need for this technology because we have faster payments whereby transactions by banks are settled with the central bank reserve in a matter of less than a day instead of taking several days as they do in in other countries. So Other countries are trying to catch up with the UK and have looked at the UK's faster payment system, but may see this blockchain and Bitcoin and and a digital currency as a way of going even further and even faster with some kind of virtual currency that could allow settlements of transactions and payments to happen much quicker.
1: Yeah, Ireland was mentioned in this panel discussion and other continental European countries as, as potential first movers. Obviously fascinating to watch that. Our third clip was actually taken from one of the interviews that you did, Martin, with a panel of peer-to-peer lenders and new age financiers. And this clip relates to the whole idea of you know what happens next to these fast-growing peer-to-peer companies. This is Samir Desai, the co-founder and CEO of Funding Circle, which is one of the world's biggest SME peer-to-peer lenders. And Martin, you asked Mr Desai what was going to be next, that they've already started doing acquisitions, particularly in the US. What was going to come next? You're already on the acquisition trail.
5: Yeah, but I think it's for very different reasons to what you spoke about, actually. Um, So, you know, I think um, these businesses do have very powerful network effects within geographies. Um, You know, if you look at the consumer space, for instance, Zopa and RateSetter are head and shoulders above everyone else, I would say the same about funding circle in the SME space. Um, You know, I'm not a big believer in in in-market consolidation in this space, actually. Um, I don't think it makes sense. I think, you know, many of the channels are very similar, and I think players will, you'll see winners emerge organically. Um, And actually, whilst there are 60, 70 platforms in the UK, there's actually a long tail um, and if you look at the top three platforms, so again, FundingCircles, OPA, RateSeller, we've actually been increasing our share um, over the last few months, so AltFi does a lot of analysis. So um, I think in-market stuff doesn't make sense. Um, I think cross-market stuff is somewhere where we've been very active. Um, we entered the U.S. Um, through an acquisition. We entered Europe through an acquisition. There are very good reasons for doing that. Um, you, the regulatory license process... You know, it takes a long time. I mean, in the U.S., we're regulated by every single state, the SEC, FINRA, we're a broker-dealer. Um, you know, we can't cross the street without regulation, so, I wouldn't, you know, the idea that these platforms are lightly regulated is not... Uh, doesn't really ring true. So I think cross-border consolidation within asset classes, like, for instance, we focus on small business, we don't care about consumer, we've got nothing to add there, I think these guys do a great job. Um, so, we you know, we do believe in acquiring other, acquiring our way into new markets or new countries by acquiring local players. And we've done that quite successfully and we'll continue to do it. But I don't think you're going to see this mass consolidation in market. I think you'll actually just see a long tail disappear, actually.
1: So that's quite an interesting sign of the kind of industry growing up, Martin.
3: It is. Yeah. I mean, the question was really prompted by a very punchy presentation given before our panel discussion by Kevin Burrows, the global banking and capital markets leader at PwC who did a kind of a summation of the state of peer-to-peer lending and one of his predictions was that there would be consolidation between peer-to-peer lenders because you're seeing dozens of them springing up almost every month and he reckoned that there would be this kind of consolidation. What Samir Desai at Funding Circle said was that he didn't think that the they would need to do in-market consolidation, but where he saw the opportunity was to cross borders because the process of getting a new license is so time consuming and and establishing your brand in a different country can take a long time. So quicker to just buy something. And they've done one of the first peer-to-peer acquisitions by another peer-to-peer group buying Zencap in Germany just last month. The German group that was backed by Rocket Internet, the large listed digital investor, has operations in three continental European countries. So it expands funding circle very quickly into the continental European market. I think that it's, you know, it's really interesting to see how, as you start to see this, this consolidation, the expansion, cross-border acquisitions, this industry is still very young. Most of these companies are only three, four, five years old, but they're starting to become proper companies now and starting to behave like that. And I think that's really interesting. They're also starting to, we talked about being regulated as well, they're starting to get regulated, they're starting to think about acquisitions, starting to think about strategy and they're growing up a bit. And I think this is a sign of that.
1: Of course, we should say that they've still only got a a very small share of the overall lending market in the various jurisdictions in in which they operate, but they are growing super fast. Um, as
3: As he pointed out, Funding Circle, in terms of the flow of new loans to SMEs in the UK, it's number three or four. So there's only a couple of banks that are lending more to SMEs in the UK. And he predicted that very quickly, they would be up near the top. Yeah, I think he
1: thinks they're going to be by next year, they're going to be the biggest lender. And I suppose that is an indictment actually of the bank's new lending, because the gross outstanding amounts are still vast. It's the net new lending by banks that is really tiny. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating change of the dynamic. That's it for this week. Just a reminder that far more on the FT Banking Summit can be found online at ft.com slash banking. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin for his contribution and also thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories online. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon.
0: That's stamps.com. Code program. Till next week, goodbye.